today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. In John's Gospel record, again, bounce back over there, we're told how Jesus himself rose from the dinner, humbling himself, washing their feet, showing that enduring love, that unceasing patience. Instead of coming down hard on these 11, he used their continual misunderstanding to again bring it into a teaching moment. Told him, look around. You shouldn't be like the world that surrounds you. You need to be moved by a different spirit than what the world is moved by. You need to have different motives than what the world has. You need to have a different focus than what the lost have. In one of his final moments leading up to his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus took the time to wash his disciples' feet, even those of his betrayer. As Pastor David explains, this act is a great example of how we should interact with our world. It exemplified God's enduring love and patience. He looked at this world that has hated him and rejected him, and he loved us. He went beyond just feeling love and stepped out in front of the bullet for us. We deserved eternal death, but he gave himself so that we could have eternal life. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Enduring Love and Unceasing Patience. totally missing the fact that Jesus was going to be arrested, put on trial, crucified, buried, and he will rise again the third day. They missed all of it, even in the midst of his trial and his crucifixion and his death and his burial, they still didn't get the fact that in three days he's going to raise again. They missed the whole thing. And these are the guys you're going to put in charge of your ministry? God had a special purpose. Why? We see the love and the patience of Jesus worked out in these men, and it gives hope for you and I, doesn't it? It gives great hope for you and I. Yeah, it's pretty easy for us to pick on the disciples. There's a lot of material there to be able to pick from. But then look around the room this morning, if you would. Even right here today, we see that the Lord still demonstrates a lot of patience. Amen? I mean, really, look at the people around you. Take a moment and look at the people around you. Can you imagine that the Lord could and would love and have patience with all the failings that you see all around this room? And particularly, I want you to look at that guy or that gal that sitted in your seat. The one you know how many failings. And how many times the Lord has extended that enduring love and that unceasing patience toward you. We're in Luke's gospel record. If you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope you do. Luke chapter 22. And as we've been working through the gospel record of Luke, as we've been working through chapter 22, we now find ourselves in verse 21. 
we're at a place of Jesus' life and his ministry where he's sharing that, that, that final intimate meal with his closest of followers there in the upper room. He, he, he's going to share the final words, the final instructions, that final encouragement to the 12 that were called the apostles. And we're at that place in Jesus' life and ministry where in just a couple of hours, He's going to be arrested, taken before a court that's been hastily put together by some of the Pharisees and some of the chief priests and even members of the Sanhedrin. We find out that the court itself was nothing but a joke, totally illegally put together in even the timing of the trial. The charges were going to be outrageous. They were going to be so outrageous they actually found people that they could pay to bring false charges against Jesus. The set in, the, already, the, the verdict had already been determined long before the court took place. He was going to be found guilty, and they were going to condemn him. They were going to condemn him to execution on a cruel Roman cross long before they even arrested him. His end of it all had already been predetermined. And you know what the interesting thing in all of that? Jesus was absolutely aware of all of that that evening as he was meeting with those 12 disciples. He was aware what was going to be taking place over the next hours, and yet his concern was for those men and to pour the depth of his heart into the life of these men. And you know what? He was also aware that the one that was going to set in motion this arrest, this trial, even the crucifixion, was right there in the room with him right there seated at the table with him. The other gospel records, all of them are in agreement as they speak of Jesus' conversation with the men there that night in that upper room, already knowing which one of those men was going to betray him. John 13 tells us that Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Well, the disciples didn't know who it was, but Jesus knew exactly who it was. In the verses that follow, John also tells us in his gospel record that after being questioned by the disciples, Jesus answered and said, well, it's the one to whom I give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And you want to know something, church? They still missed it. They still missed it. That was a direct fulfillment of Psalm 41, verse 9, where it says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I've trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. So here in Luke 22, look down in verse 21, where we're at this morning. Again, Jesus saying, And behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it's been determined. Oh, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which one of them it was who would do this thing. It, 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 was, it was surprisingly hard for these disciples to be able to guess who would do such a horrifying thing. Why? Why would any one of them, for one thing, why would any one of them betray the master? That just doesn't make sense. Who would do such a horrifying thing? And you see, the second thing is Judas was a deceiver. And he had deceived all the rest of the apostles into thinking that he was a pretty upright and righteous guy. To get a better idea of the dynamics that are going on in that upper room on that evening, we can take hints from the scriptures, 
But there's also a lot of testimonies from secular world history that help us in telling the story. All of that that had taken place in that upper room, following all that had been taught to them as they had left Galilee and traveled down to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. After all that had been shown to them, all that had been taught them by the Savior in the last days, even after hearing Jesus speak about how heavy and how troubled his heart was, even knowing that one of them would betray him, but yet quite not quite figuring it out yet, even with all of that, the disciples were still, guess what? Focused in on themselves. Focused in on themselves and their position. Back in Luke 22, look what it says in verse 24. Now there was also a dispute among them, among the disciples, as to which of them should be considered the greatest. I wonder if that dispute got between Peter having to sit in that servant's position and John sitting over there in the honored position or even Judas in, again, the, the, the honorable position. You think if that's where it got, maybe everybody looked, oh, look at Peter. But that discussion came about right there that evening. And the problem is, is that argument wasn't new. That didn't just start that evening. These guys have been fighting about their own personal positions for some time now. Jealousies among the apostles? Really? The apostles? Yeah, shake your head like this because the Bible shows it so clearly. You remember the incidents with James and, and John's mommy coming to Jesus. Remember, she came up to Jesus and said, oh Jesus, would you give special favor to my sons so that they could sit on your right and your left-hand side when you come into your kingdom? That's pretty much right in the face, you know? That's pretty much, you, you can't just ignore that. Here's a mom trying to, again, push her sons into places and positions of authority or esteem. Whatever we see in, in the midst of that, we do know that when the other 10 disciples found out about what these guys had asked or what their mom had asked, they got pretty irate. As a matter of fact, it greatly displeased them toward those two brothers. And whatever the reason, there seemed to be this continual, this constant bickering for placement, for recognition, whether it be pride or self-promotion, prejudice against some of the others. It could be a lot of things, actually. Because this was a pretty mixed bag of men, as Jesus called them together. Not unlike the church is today. We're a pretty mixed bag here. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to realize that or not. But there are a lot of differences among us. Some of you voted for a candidate even different than the one I voted for. I can't imagine that. Some of you might, uh, again, stand for causes that, that I don't stand for. There might be some other reasonings and understandings and backgrounds in your life that are totally different than the person sitting across the aisle from you. We're a mixed bag. But the body of Christ is a mixed bag. The body of Christ is so diverse, and that's the beauty of it that we understand. We see that the Lord is working within the whole body of Christ with that enduring love, with that unceasing patience to draw us together as a workable body for his kingdom's sake. Earlier on in the ministry, these disciples had asked Jesus straight out, hey, who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's a pretty bold statement, especially when there's just 12 of you and you're coming up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, which one of us is greater in the kingdom? 
What an attitude that they had. Mark tells us that as they were traveling throughout Galilee, Jesus taught his disciples and said to them, the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And after he's killed, he will rise on the third day. And then he came down into Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, hey, by the way, guys, what was that you were talking and disputing among yourselves while we were out on the road? While I was trying to teach you that, again, I was going to be turned into the hands of men and they're going to kill me. While I was telling you that, what were you guys arguing about? But the word Mark tells us, they kept silent. For on the road, they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. Throughout the gospel records, we find this to be a common, a continual topic of conversation, a topic of conflict for the disciples over and over again. But Jesus would have none of it, so he would call them down back into reality, just as he did James and John and their mother when he declared, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? Now, fast forward again to Luke 22 in the upper room. Still with love, still with great patience, Jesus continues his ministry to these guys. Somewhere in the evening's activities now, Judas has now left the building. It was now Jesus and the other 11. And he could see that even these men had so far to go. So far to go in their lives and in their surrender to the things of God in their lives. He could see that they were still filled with selfishness, still filled with pride, overconfidence. They all had a lack of a servant's heart and lack of humility. All of these shortcomings were so apparent in these men's lives. And yet, the Lord Jesus continued to minister to them and continued to pour into them his love and his patience instead of kicking them all out of the room. You know, so, you know what? After all this, you guys just get out of here. I'm on my own. You guys have like failed the test. No, not Jesus. Jesus continued to minister to them. And in verse 25 here in Luke 22, he continues. He says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But it should not be so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? And yet I am among you as the one who serves. Remember, it was Jesus that got up, just as the Gospels declared to us. It was Jesus that got up and wiped the disciples' feet, and yes, including Judas's feet at that point. Again, it's easy for the disciples, it would have been easy for the disciples to be able to see how the Gentiles or how the ungodly treated each other. It was all around them. The disciples could have easily seen how the rich mistreated the poor, and probably even themselves experiencing how the wealthy and the powerful lorded it over others, over the lower caste, over the impoverished multitudes that were all around them. That separation, and Jesus is trying to help them to understand that's not the way you want to be. That's not the spirit of God in the midst of this. In John's gospel record, again, bounce back over there, we're told how Jesus himself rose from the dinner and humbling himself, washing their feet, showing that enduring love, that unceasing patience. Instead of coming down hard on these 11, 
he used their continual misunderstanding to again bring it into a teaching moment. He told them, look around. You shouldn't be like the world that surrounds you. You need to be moved by a different spirit than what the world is moved by. You need to have different motives than what the world has. You need to have a different focus than what the lost have. And beloved, that's the word for you and I here this morning. We shouldn't be those who respond and act and are focused and directed and driven by the same things as the world is. We are children of the kingdom of God and we are called to be led by the spirit of God with a spirit of humility before each other and before the world. You see, we have things so twisted around in our culture. We honor those who we think are most important when we look down on those that we think that are less important or less respectable. Think about it for a moment. If our, if our governor or our mayor here in town decided, hey, you know what, I'm gonna take three months off, just gonna lock the key, uh, lock the door to my office, I'm gonna be gone for three months, I'll take care of things when I get back. It wouldn't affect us too much. We probably wouldn't even be a, a matter of discussion for us. Well, what would you do if your trash collector or your sanitation workers decided, you know what, we're gonna take about three months off. We're just gonna lock the door, we'll be back. No, suddenly we realize the ones that we give very low esteem to suddenly become very important. Just wait a minute, you can't leave us. You can't be gone that long. But even more than that kind of situation, Jesus is explaining to them that the heart of a child of God should be a heart of service. Honoring others above yourself, esteeming others. That's what Paul speaks to us in the book of Philippians. Turn there if you would. Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in the third verse, Paul is speaking to the church of Philippi, but beloved, he is speaking directly to the church of Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande here this morning too, because it's the same message to them that we need to hear today as we move about in a crazy, crazy world. This world is just filled with violence right now. There's, there, 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 there's this continual uh, discord and conflict that's going on. So how do we deal with this? Look what Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter two, beginning in verse three. He says, for you and I as believers, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That's not what the world is teaching us, but that's what the word of God declares. He goes on to say, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. You say, Pastor, if I did that, the world would walk all over me. And they did Jesus too. I've decided to follow Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want Jesus to lead me. I'm, I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And you get surprised if the world wants to walk all over you. Beloved, that's what we're surrendered into. That's why we die when we come to Christ. We die 
And Jesus tells his disciples and tells all those that would follow him, unless you're willing to pick up your cross and die daily, then you'll have no part of me. Oh, but what about my rights? How many rights does a dead man have? We've come to Christ. We want to be an example of Christ. We want to be led by the Spirit of Christ. We want to have, again, the very declaration of the truth of Christ be the testimony of our lives. Jesus tells them that, yeah, in this life you are going to have many, many tribulations. You need to understand that, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But he also tells them, but that's okay. This world is not your home. There is a place where the rewards will be declared and they will be seen. Faithfully living this life, we need to understand the rewards aren't here, folks. The rewards are yet before us. And Jesus calling them back on point by reminding them that there will be that time when they will receive that reward for, that reward for their faithfulness as servants of the Most High. There is a kingdom, and they will be a powerful part of that kingdom. They will have responsibilities and authority, but first they need to learn servanthood. Back in Luke 22, verse 28, he tells the disciples, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Absolutely, there is that time of reward. But don't look for this world to be a place of reward. This is a place of service and ministry for each of us to the world that's around us. David Guzik states, being a servant doesn't mean that we're unrewarded. Quite the opposite. God's greatest servants receive the greatest of rewards. But a great servant doesn't serve for the sake of the reward. He serves for the sake of the glory of God. Beloved, that's what it's all about. So the question is, is what motivates your heart? Why do you serve Jesus this morning? Because someone told you that if you come to Jesus, everything in your life is going to be squared away and you know all your kids are going to be raised up perfect and wonderful and you'll get that promotion and life will be smooth and easy. Let me ask you, how's that working out for you? Amen. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is the fact that we were desperately lost in sin and eternity loomed ahead of us. Worse than a freight train. An eternity in hell, separated from the love of God. But God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Why should I be a servant to anyone? Why should I be humble before men? Because my Lord Jesus was. We can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? 
While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to theopenword.com and click on the teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to theopenword.com and select the teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you.